Good evening. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening and to look together at this tremendous subject of the ascension of our Lord. In the introduction that we gave um, online, we mentioned how we seem to spend so much time looking at the Christmas story, so much time looking at the Easter story, and then as Pentecostals, we just can't wait to get to Acts 2 for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But in, before we get there, we have this event called the Ascension. Sounds very church, it sounds almost a religious thing, but it is so vital to our understanding of the ministry of Jesus as it continues after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Any idea that Jesus has finished his ministry when he rose from the dead couldn't be further from the truth. There are three portions that we'll visit this evening. The first is in Acts, and then we have a portion in Luke and a portion in Mark. Each of them highlight a different aspect to the ascension, and hopefully we'll be able to look at that together and be encouraged. But I need to pray. Father, we ask you now to help us as we look to your word. Your word doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to a church or a denomination. It's God-breathed. And we pray the same Holy Spirit that breathed this word into being might breathe upon the speakers and hearers alike. May there be much fruit, Lord, this evening as a result of your word being seed in our hearts. Amen. Amen. I'd like to read you from Acts chapter 1, if I may. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, very important verses. And it's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, uh, pardon me, 1 to 11, my apology. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. One occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times nor dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you have seen him go. Before we look at Luke and we look at Mark, I'd like to just to look at what the scriptures are teaching us here at this occasion. The ascension is a link between the New Testament, the Gospels, and then the book of Acts and the epistles. It's that link. We find that it's mentioned in the Gospels and it's also mentioned in the beginning of Acts. The book of Acts covers about 30 years 
after Jesus's ascension. There was 40 days from the crucifixion to the ascension, 10 days from the ascension to the day of Pentecost, giving us 50 day of Pentecost, where the name comes from. The day of Pentecost is that what we would often call the birth of the church. Now, before Jesus went, he taught them, it tells us there about the kingdom of God and other things. But he gave them a command in this portion of scripture. In verse four, he says, on one occasion, while he was eating, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. That, of course, is the promise that Jesus taught about in John 14 to 16. So before his ascension, he gave them something they had to do. Blessing follows obedience. There are no shortcuts to a blessing. If anybody tells you there's a formula or there's an ABC or a one, two, three, I've got to tell you they're mistaken. Blessing results in obedience, believing a promise, acting upon the promise. There will be an act of obedience. And before the disciples could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they had to do as they were told. And they were told to tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. When I first became a Christian, they had what they called tarrying meetings where we would wait and on God to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we would be prayed for. Now we don't call them tarrying meetings. We like to think they're receiving meetings, being a bit more positive to it. And so this promise, this command brought a promise. You stay in Jerusalem, you'll receive the promise. And very simply, it was you will receive power. Power. This was a group of people who are anything but powerful. Here we have a Peter who denied the Lord. Here we have a Peter who was reinstated over that breakfast meal with Jesus on the beach. Here we have them in the upper room again. Lots of questions, lots of things happening. But now they're told that in 10 days they will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Baptism of the Spirit has always had one purpose. Oh, it's to build up the believer. In fact, we know in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, it says, He that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. During this time of lockdown, when you're having your prayer time, don't let that gift of speaking in tongues go. Um, let it fade. Make it very much part of your devotions. Because when others might not be there to ed build us up, and edify means to build up, here we have a tremendous gift from God. And if you've not been baptized of the Spirit, well, you have not, because you ask not. Believe God, receive it, step out in faith, and begin to worship him in a new language. And so we're told they had to stay in Jerusalem. They would receive the power they needed, but it was for a purpose. You shall be my witnesses. We, as Pentecostals, we cherish the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit's coming was not that we might have the gifts of the Spirit. It's that the church might be edified to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's defined there, you will be my witnesses. And verse 8, in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the world. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church was that the church might not just affect their neighborhood or their nation or the nations, 
but the world. And for that to happen, Jesus had to ascend to his father. When I go to my father, then the Holy Spirit will come. I'm sure there was a part of them that didn't want him to leave. They wanted to have his physical um, resurrected body with them forever. But when he left and went to the Father, the Holy Spirit came. So the ministry of Christ could be wherever the disciples and apostles went, not just in one location. They took Jesus with them through the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to just clarify something. There are people out there who believe that Pentecostals believe that, you know, if you're not baptized in the Spirit, you're not saved. Let me tell you now, conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals Christ to us. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the new birth. So long before we start praying for folks to have the baptism of the Spirit, we have already had the work of the Spirit in our lives and very much part of what God is doing. It's an extension of his ministry, certainly not the beginning of it. Of course, they had a question in verse, um, verse 6. It's the old question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In spite of all he'd said, and in verse 3, it tells us that he would be teaching about the kingdom. I'm reading a book at the moment on the kingdom of God. Very challenging, very challenging. They're quite stretching me to really comprehend all that is meant by the kingdom of God. But they wanted the horizontal. When are you going to kick the Romans out? When are we going to have a true king in Israel? When are you, Jesus, going to take your throne and sit in Jerusalem and rule? He was certainly going to sit on his throne, but it wasn't going to be in Jerusalem. It was going to be at the right hand of the Father. So although he spoke to them about the kingdom, they still have this horizontal picture. When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Far from it. He was going to restore the kingdom of God to the world, all that was lost in Adam, the death of Jesus Christ would restore. We find in the same chapter, after he had given the command, after he had made the promise, after he clarified the intention with regards to the kingdom of God, it tells us there, they were looking intently up into the sky. He was, sorry, verse 9. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes. I love that, very eyes. There's no, no mysticism here. They're very, they saw it happen. It was real. Their very eyes, a cloud hid them from their sight. I wonder what they thought for those moments. They thought they'd lost him on the cross. They thought they'd lost him in the tomb. Maybe they thought, we've lost him again. And then we have that tremendous promise that follows through. Two men in white apparel um, said to them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, why are you still here? You should be getting back to Jerusalem, as you were told. They said, this same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Two tremendous promises at the beginning of Acts. The promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, you shall be my witnesses. Promise one. Promise two, this same Jesus. 
The founding fathers of Elam, who we're in fellowship with, the Elam churches, had a, 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 something they called the Four Square Gospel. They didn't invent it. They, they, they took it from somewhere else. I do know the source. It wasn't anything untoward. They were taken from, I think, the Missionary Alliance, who had a saying about Jesus as the um, baptizer, not baptizer in the Holy Spirit, but the sanctifier, coming king, saviour. They had this, and the early Pentecostal changed the word sanctifier to baptizer in the Holy Spirit. It's always been part of our makeup. It's all been part of our understanding. Along with the baptism of the Spirit, there is the truth that Jesus will return. Now, there's a lot of challenges today, a lot of teaching out there, and I haven't got the time. I probably don't even have the, the understanding to explain all the different thoughts and views. But let me tell you this one thing. He is coming back again to this world. This same Jesus will return again as you have seen him go. He came, he went physically, he was seen of all, and he will return in the same way. And that is the, 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 the motivation for living our Christian lives. Some people live their Christian lives out of fear of God. And we should fear God. We, we should honor him in the way we live. But friends, he is coming back. Now, you many people say, well, when do you think he's coming back? I don't know when he's coming back. I'm actually forbidden in Scripture to even attempt to give you a time or date. But I know this, and I'm not being clever when I say this. He's a week nearer coming than he was last week. And what did we do last week? If last week was the last week we had to serve him, how would our Christian lives have measured up last week? If my preaching was cancelled tonight because Jesus came back, I may say I'd gladly do that if he came back, and you're probably praying he comes back now. But, you know, what would that last week have been? My last week as a disciple on earth before Jesus came back again. Would have had a, did I serve him true? Was I walking in, in holiness with him? Was I seeking to, well, forgive my enemies? The, the list goes on and on and on. And so in Acts, we have that great truth. I'm going to go to my father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, you shall be my, my witnesses to the whole world. And then right at the end, we have that Luke reminds us, because Luke wrote Acts as he wrote his own gospel. We have that tremendous truth that Jesus is coming back again. Personal, physical, triumphant. I'd like us just to look into Mark's account, if I may, of the ascension. Mark just gives us one further insight into the ascension. If Luke in Acts tells us about the promise of the coming of the Spirit and the second coming of Christ, Mark says these words. He gives us the destination to where Jesus went. You see, he didn't go to the clouds. Please, I'm not trying to be funny here. Jesus isn't sat on a cloud. You often see caricatures of angels on clouds and people that have died sitting on a cloud with a harp. I'm telling you what, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus' destination was not the clouds. Jesus' destination, uh, Mark tells us, is this, the right hand of God. The right hand of God. You see, 
Christ's ministry did not conclude with his ascension. It wasn't the end. Forgive me again, I'm not deliberately mocking. Jesus didn't get to heaven and think, that's me finished with, I'll put my slippers on, sit down and have a cup of tea. No, no. His ministry changed. Um, I won't use the word evolved, but it transitioned in his ascension. And Mark here says he's at the right hand of God. John, uh, Revelation 17, 14. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's enthroned in heaven. Romans 8, 34. He's at the right hand of God interceding for us. He's interceding for us. Now, who is Jesus interceding with? Is Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding with the devil for us? Far from it. There's no negotiation with him. The devil is out of the picture now. He is interceding on our behalf with the justice and the righteousness of God. And when I stand before him and God looks at me, he will see a sinner par excellence, let me tell you. But then Jesus steps in. He intercedes and he says, Father, Father. He shows the Father his hands. He shows the Father his feet. The father sees the crown of thorns on his brow. The father sees the Lamb of God. And I am forgiven. I am allowed into his presence because he is interceding for me. Colossians 3.1, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. Great that term seated. He's seated at the right hand of the father. He's the joint. There is no competition in the Godhead. There is no um, uh, challenges there's no they're, they're equal the godhead there is no competition the father is not more important than the son or the son more important than the spirit it was no problem for the father to move over on his throne and allow the beloved son to sit next to him they were in total harmony jesus had been the total obedient son who'd gone to the cry isaiah cried out you know came, who shall go for us and isaiah said here am i send me well that's what jesus did the father said, who will go for us? Who will go down and die for this sinful world? Who is there who hasn't sinned, who has made, committed no sin, that could die on their behalf? The voice back in eternity said, here am I, send me. And Jesus stepped into time and died for us. But now he's seated at the right hand of the father. Colossians 3.1, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. My understanding is only one occasion when Christ wasn't seated. When Stephen was martyred, it says, Stephen said, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Of course, the Sanhedrin went mad at this. That was blasphemy beyond. But, you know, that was the truth. That was the truth. And on that occasion, we see Jesus standing and not seated. I think the answer is very simple. He stood to welcome Stephen into his presence. You know, scripture tells us that the death of the saints is special to God. And Stephen was being martyred. He was being true to his faith. And I think Jesus stood. I almost said stood to applaud him for the tremendous sacrifice that he had made. First Peter 3.22 Speaking of Christ, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand, is at God's right hand, right? 
So Peter's reminding us that Jesus got up, but he says, why? With angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. His ascension wasn't arriving at home. It was a transition. He became Lord in a moment. We will look at another aspect of that. But he returned and he became Lord, King of Kings. And it tells us that angels, authorities, and powers are in submission to him. When the enemy turns up and starts to brag, just remind him who's at the right hand of the Father and who he should be in submission to. Now, we know what's going to happen. The book of the Revelation tells us of that judgment that will come to him. But friends, we haven't got to be troubled. Our Savior, our Lamb, has gone into the presence of God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding. He's speaking on our behalf. We set our minds on things above because that's where Christ is. That's a challenge. It's not easy. It's not easy. And we know that the angels, authority and powers are in submission to him. They were in submission to him on the earth. Remember the story of Legion? No argument. Come out. And they did as they were told. And the reason that they knew who Jesus was. They'd met him before, but that's a, another story. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10, that God hath exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, uh, every knee should bow and every confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Luke in Acts tells us the promise of the Spirit, the Great Commission, and the promise of his return with the challenge that bring. Mark gives us his destination. It wasn't the clouds. It was the right hand of the Father. Let me read to you just some words that I made from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. Which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Now, this is where Christ is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that has been given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When looking for a title for this, I put going home, but he didn't go home to rest. He went home to rule. He went home to intercede. He went home so that you and I could have the confidence to know that we have a friend in heaven. We have someone there who speaks well of us because of our faith in him and the work that he did upon the cross. The book of Hebrews speaks a lot about the heavenly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important. So, in fact, in Revelation 5, it's very interesting that when the elders look in Revelation 5 at the throne, they see the lion. But when John looks at the throne, he sees the lamb. And, you know, Jesus is reigning for you now. Whatever you need him to be. If you need him to be a lion, he's the lion of the tribe of Jew. If you need him to be a lamb, he's there. If you need him to be the Alpha and Omega, he's there. He has ascended. 
So these things come into being. We've got to grasp this. We've got the resurrection. We've got the crucifixion. We have the resurrection. But we have the ascension that ties it all together. If he'd only remained on earth, he'd have been in one place at one time. But that's why tonight in every home where you're listening to this, God the Holy Spirit is making Christ a reality to you. We don't have to travel. We don't have to be a, make a pilgrimage to where Jesus is. We know where he is. He's in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. He's completed his work as the obedient son. He has the authority of God, and he's had his coronation as king of kings and lord of lords. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 to 25 says this, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. His ascension meant that he was coming very much into his new role of intercession. Let me repeat that. But because Jesus lives forever, he'll never die again. There are no more crucifixions for Jesus. He lives in the power of an endless life. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, right? He's a priest now. Therefore, he is able to completely, what a great word, completely, to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I'm not sure what's happening in your life at this moment. You may think no one's praying for me. Well, let me assure you, we would pray for you. We've got, we've got phone numbers you can ring in. I rang the prayer line last week. I didn't need to pray. I just wanted to thank the people for being there to answer prayers. And it's right. But let me tell you, no one else in this world ever prays for you again. Jesus has. You'll never say, no one's ever prayed for me. He's praying for you now. Say, Gordon, you don't know the problems I've got. I don't. And if you told me, there's nothing much I could do about it. But tell him. Tell him. Because he wants to intercede. He is praying for you. He wants to step in and help you. Now, in addition to what um, we have in Mark, where we have his destination, we find in Luke 24, we have another aspect I feel is so important. So let me turn to that. So I've got it right. I'd like you to turn, if you could, to John 24. I'm going to read verses 50 to 53. So to recap, we have the promise of the Spirit when he goes to the Father. We have the promise of the power to be an effective church for Jesus. We have the promise that he will return again. We have the promise that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for us. But Luke, and I'll read this to you, gives us one, and it's easy to miss this. And it's the little things that I, I find sometimes the most interesting. He says this, when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, in all the talk about his ascension going up and the throne interceding, the coming of the spirit, the, the gospel going forth, sometimes we might just miss this. But Jesus did something 
before he left them. And Luke reminds us of it there. It says that he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, I'd like to put this for you. And this is, I always said, your homework to work this out. I'd like to put forward an idea here. And it's, it's my idea. I can't blame anybody else. So if it's not right, I'm the guy. Okay. I think that was the beginning of Christ's new ministry. Not the new phase of ministry, pardon me. You see, he'd come as the Lamb of God and he'd offered himself for us. But now he's transitioning from the Lamb to the high priest. It was the high priest who would intercede for the people. It was the high priest. This is the marvel of Scripture, that one moment he's the Lamb of God, the next minute he's the high priest, the next minute is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's everything that we need. Well, that's why we. That's why you think, well, how can we worship God for eternity? We'll never grasp who he is and what he's done. So it says he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, in Numbers 6, we're told there that the priests were to bless people. I'm going to read you. It's in, in, Mar, in, in Numbers 6, verses 23 to 26. In verse 22, it says there, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, now Aaron was the first high priest, his sons were priests, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And so part of the ministry of the high priest in the Old Testament and the priest was to bless the people. We mustn't get confused with Solomon's prayer, the dedication of the temple. That's something very different, um, a fabulous study in itself. But this was part of the priestly ministry. They were to um, be involved in the sacrifices. They were to be involved in the temple worship. But they also had a ministry of blessing. Now, I'm not sure if it's um, it talked about so much today, but there was a time when um, transference was a big thing, you know, transferring a blessing. I, I was always a little bit, I am a little bit cautious in a lot of things. Maybe it holds me back. But I never quite grasped this teaching of transition. But let me tell you this. When God blesses you, something is transferred. Now, whether I can transfer a blessing to you, I'm not so sure. But I know this, he can. And I'd like to put forward the thought for you to think about. Was he, at the end, before his ascension, beginning his high priest, priestly prayer. And listen to what the blessing was. You know it very well. Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how I are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites. They will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And that's what Jesus did. He's put his name upon us and he will bless us. Not an Israel of old. And I don't even think we're the, a new Israel. I think that's going to be a bit confusing. We're the church. We're the, the body of Christ. We're a unique, unbelievable a group of people who the, 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 the world has been waiting 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. And we've arrived. We're here. And I just wonder, I don't know what the blessing was when Jesus raised his hands and blessed them before he ascended. But I just wonder whether he said to the disciples, as he says to you, not from a mountain where he ascended, but from the very throne room of God, where he is our high priest, ever living to make intercession. Maybe tonight, this is God's blessing for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. In this pandemic, who knows what worries you may have, what concerns. I live in Derby. This week we've heard that 9,000 people will lose their jobs in Rolls-Royce, one of the main employers in the city. 9,000 homes. The Christians can say these words, the Lord bless you and keep you. I pray that the redundancies will not be so many. But friends, that makes it real. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. We have a gracious saviour. Jesus is never rude. He's never unkind. He is such a friend, such a saviour. The Lord turn his face towards you. And here's that commodity again and again that God wants to impart and give you peace. I don't know if that was the blessing he gave. I'd like to think it was because it links with his new ministry of a high priest. The book of Hebrews expounds that for us in an absolutely marvelous way. In 1 Chronicles 23, 13, it says this, to minister before the Lord and to pronounce blessings in his name forever, the priestly office, to pronounce blessings in his name forever. That's what he does. Jesus pronounces blessings in God's name forever. Deuteronomy 21.5, pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord. And so his ascension is more than just going home, but he was going home, but going home with a purpose, a purpose to allow the Father's promise to come in the Holy Spirit, that we might reach out for people in a marvelous way through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's seated at the right hand of God, where we know the one we serve of has all authority and all power and all dominion. And lastly, we have someone in heaven who knows your name. They're written on the palms of his hand. You will not be forgotten. Hear this? This is for someone, I'm sure. You are not forgotten. And he says these words to you. And with this, I will conclude and hand back. He says to Kensington Temple and to any other homes and families who've joined us, you're most welcome. I believe that Jesus is a blessing for you. He's a, there's a million blessings. But this evening, may I repeat these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And we will have his name upon us and we will be blessed. The Acts tells us they were called Christians first. 
in the book of Acts, Christians. We have his name upon us and he will bless them. Thank you for listening. We've covered a fair bit of ground. I hope it's not been too higgledy-piggledy, but please, as we prepare for next week, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you've got nothing to worry about. Heaven is secure. He's gone to prepare a place for you, and he will come again and receive you unto himself. And what we're waiting for now is this. We had a promise that was fulfilled. He said the Holy Spirit would come. He did in Acts 2. He gave the promise that he will return again, and he will. As sure as the Spirit came in Acts 2, Christ will return. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then before that, it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we've got it, friends. He's coming again, but in the meantime, we have a man in glory who is interceding for us. Be blessed, not my blessing, his blessing. He raises his hands above your home and your family and your life, and he blesses you, blesses you because he is the obedient son who did all the father asked and is now sat at the right hand of God on high. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, let's look forward to next weekend. The Holy Spirit is coming. Amen. Thank you.